Hey, welcome to another T-Rex talk. This is Isaac Bodkin, which you could probably tell because this is one of our YouTube video ones, which you're watching on YouTube video. But we also have podcasts. And uh, like I predicted in the last YouTube live stream, we hit our 100th podcast on Monday and we forgot to do anything special about it. So this is technically episode 101. And we're going to be talking about the future of radio. So I have a whole bunch of very non-future radios. These are incredibly current and present radios, except for the primitive and past radios. I guess technically all my radios are past radios that I have in the present. We're going to be talking about the next trends in radios, uh, radio communication, that uh, just so you can be prepared and have a little bit better idea of what sort of devices you might want to be learning about and looking into so that you are prepared for the future. As usual, we have uh, a lot of people in the chat talking about different stuff. And right before we started this live stream, it was pouring rain and it now sounds a little bit quieter. So, how is audio? Can you guys hear me all right? Yep. Very good. So we have um, on the table a whole bunch of different radios. We have the super basic uh, little FRS, GMRS type radios. We have the slightly uh, more complicated... Uh, this is a professional uh, DMR radio. This is the Hytera radio, so not only does it do DMR, it does DMR with full-on 256-bit AES encryption. And if I hold it over here, you can see it in a glorious second camera shot. Battery died on that. Oh, the battery died on our beautiful second camera shot. Well, then I'll just hold it closer to the camera, out of the light, so it's very difficult to see. So we have uh, a bunch of radios here, but we also have some digital radios. The future of radio communication is digital radios, software-defined radios, and uh, digital mesh communication. So I'm going to talk a little bit about software-defined radio. Uh, software-defined radio is uh, a radio where software controls what it is the radio sees and what it is the radio does. Old school mechanical radios actually had like a, um, they actually had mechanical parts, coils and crystals where you would move an electrical implement back and forth to tune the radio. You would have physical filters and things inside of there filtering the electrical signal that was coming out of the antenna of the radio. And that's a great way to do things in a lot of different ways. But it gives you less flexibility than if you have a software-defined radio. The software-defined radio, and we have a couple here, we have the very common RTL-SDR. Uh, these things are about 30 or 40 bucks, and then I also have a Hack RF inside of this little portable box we're about to talk about here. Ah, there's our second camera. It's so cool, you guys. I can hold this thing up, tilt it directly into the light, and uh, see myself at the same time that I'm talking about this. But once you have a software-defined radio, you get to see huge swaths of the radio spectrum instead of the single frequency that you are listening to. Um, and the secret is that, uh, well, technically, technically, even a lot of the modern radios, radios of the present uh, and recent past are actually software-defined radios. If we took this little uh, Zastone radio apart, we would not find mechanical crystals and coils and uh, physical filters inside of this radio. We would find a tiny software-defined radio, but we would find a software-defined radio that is fairly limited and uh, not one that we can control with a full interface that we can with, with some of these other radios. Uh, now, I have terrible antennas on these radios 
for a reason. We're going to be doing some testing, uh, and we have uh, <laughs> we have really really bad radios on them simply so we don't overpower the radio receivers based on what we're going to be doing. When we want to listen to uh, signals from overseas, I actually have a different way that I'm going to do that. We're going to do that in a little bit. So, um, Charles, if you could throw up the other screen, my actual computer screen, I want to show you guys kind of the difference between software-defined radio and analog radio. In the old analog days, you would tune into specific frequencies that you would want to listen to. In this case, we're looking at an image, and we're looking at a specific wavelength of light, which is not all that different from listening to a specific wavelength of audio or a specific wavelength of radio. We're looking at a specific wavelength of light right here, which is sort of purpley blue. So we're looking at a picture. We don't know what it is, but we can look at the purple and the blue. Okay, now we're looking more at blue. Okay, so we tune back and forth through the purple and the blue, and we, we kind of get the idea, like, ah, oh, these look like there's grapes. And then we tune more more into the blue spectrum, and, ah, oh, it kind of looks like a jar. It looks like a jar. And then uh, we tune to the green spectrum, and we see some green leaves. We tune in a little more to the greenish-yellow spectrum, and we see some more, more grapes. Uh, Charles... You can hide me. I'm not that important to this demonstration. <laughs> but this is the way that most radios work. If you have a radio that you can tune through different frequencies and listen to them one at a time, this is the way that you develop your picture of the, the signal around you. You look at specific frequencies one at a time. Okay, so we got some orange leaves. And then if we go to red, you see something hidden behind me. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're you're wanting to show me talking, Charles, but uh, we have not coordinated our timing. So if we tune into the red frequency, now we can see some raspberries here. So this is the way that you listen to analog radio, by listening to just a few frequencies at a time. But with a software-defined radio, you see everything at the same time. You can tell that it is actually a still-life painting from a 19th century British artist. And so being able to see the entire picture of the radio frequency and not looking through very specific things, one frequency at a time, just hoping to find information and then piece it all together uh, as you go, you can see why there's a tremendous advantage to being able to see the entire radio spectrum. So uh, you can put me back onto regular camera, Charles. Um, so a software-defined radio um, will allow you to see a huge swath of the radio spectrum all at the same time. Let me also just keep an eye on uh, on these things here. Uh, so right over here, I have a device called a Hack RF. This Hack RF is a software-defined radio, and it's inside. It doesn't normally come inside of this sweet plastic case that reminds me of an old-school Game Boy. It is just this circuit board right here, and it has a USB port. It has a place to put an antenna. It has clock in and out so that you can get the timing just right. But if you get the porta pack, uh, there's a battery inside, and the, you can run this user interface right here. So what we're going to do with this uh, is we're going to go in here and we're going to look at a large swath of the spectrum at one time. So currently what it's set up to look at is we're looking at from 2.3 gigahertz up to 2.5 gigahertz. So we're looking at the Wi-Fi spectrum. And in here you can see that T-Rex Arms is using basically three channels of 2.4 gigahertz Wi-Fi. And if we were to change the spectrum that we're looking at so that we can see um, further down into the spectrum, 
uh, we would see a different we would see different stuff. Uh, we were looking earlier, Charles and I, and uh, right around 900 megahertz, we started to see interesting stuff happen. We can see some of the wireless sensors. Um, let's see, where the little arrow here is 900 megahertz, and then there's there's some stuff happening down here. There's some I can see some traffic at 748 megahertz, and I can see a little more at 700 megahertz. This is very interesting. This is like public safety stuff that I can see happening here. So once you are able to see into the spectrum like this, uh, it tells you what radios are being used in your area and gives you a rough idea of what's going on. And this has a whole bunch of different features uh, as well as that. So I'm trying to figure out what would actually be the best thing. This thing is about 250 bucks. Uh, and it lets you it lets you do a whole bunch of stuff because the important part about the Hack RF, which is about 200 bucks, is that it lets you transmit as well as receive. Now, we're not going to do a whole lot of transmitting because I don't have the best antennas to demo it. But um, one of the things that I did during Thanksgiving was uh, I had uh, <laughs> I had uh, small children running around with FRS walkie-talkies. I was listening to them on this device and I was actually talking back uh, to them. It didn't work amazingly well because I didn't have the best possible antenna because I was actually very worried about this device being too sensitive and even these little uh, one watt, half watt walkie-talkies blowing out the front end of this. So I had the bad antenna and I had it collapsed and uh, it was working out pretty well. It is not a Marauder, but uh, I will, the, the, the firmware that this is currently running uh, is called Mayhem. So that gives you some idea of uh, the types of people who put this firmware together. It's extremely, uh, it's extremely cool. And there's a bunch of other things that it can do. Because it can see into the entire spectrum, it can see all types of signals. And then it's really only limited by its processing power to determine what some of those signals are. So earlier, I was over by the window. I don't think we'll be able to see uh, any ADSB transceivers from inside of here because we have a metal roof. But when I was sitting by, when I was sitting by the window, I was actually able to pick up some different aircraft transponders as they flew by. And I actually, uh, I, I did get one uh, just now. Um, it was last seen five seconds ago. Heading is 66, speed is 499. It's not broadcasting its call sign. Oh no, it is, FDX. 517. So even inside of this, uh, inside of this shop with the metal roof and the bad antenna, uh, we're able to pick up some aircraft transponders just, uh, just by looking around. And if I let this sit for a while, uh, we would pick up some more and we'd be able to develop uh, an idea of what air traffic is happening above us. And I could actually look at it on a map, except that I forgot to load a map onto this device so that you could see the location. You can also look at boat transponders. There's a bunch of other different things that are set up. Um, I'm going to listen for uh, Bluetooth devices. You guys think there's any Bluetooth devices here in the shop? It's possible. I'm not actually uh, the, sure of the best way to do this, but it is picking up, it sees one. I can probably tweak the modem settings and pick up a few more. But uh, earlier outside in the shop, I picked up uh, over a dozen different Bluetooth devices. Okay, I see three. So I can't actually do anything with these Bluetooth devices with 
this device because the CPU that is inside of this little box is super tiny and it only does a few things. But I can see those devices. I can see those individual Bluetooth devices. Because this radio can see such large amounts of radio spectrum, it can pick up all kinds of different things. And because it can broadcast, it can do a whole bunch of useful stuff. It can record uh, the key fob data from your wireless car starter and then play that back. Now, if your car is smart, uh, it will rotate through those codes very quickly so that I can't always use that recorded data to, uh, to start your car for you. But uh, within a few moments, I can definitely record that data and then I can play it back and start your car for you without using your key fob. But the other thing that I can do uh, is I can record data and I can record data over a long period of time and then I can analyze that data later. I can analyze that data with a much more powerful computer and actually do interesting stuff with it. So uh, smart meters, uh, Charles and I were talking about this before, people snooping on each other's smart meters. Uh, I can do that with this particular app. There's a whole bunch of different pre-built uh, applications inside of this Havoc firmware that's very, very uh, interesting. So there's a lot of, uh, lot of very cool stuff that you can do uh, with a $200 SDR like this one. And there's a lot of stuff that you can do with uh, even just the $30, $40 one. This one is receive only, but 90% um, of the time, what I want to do uh, with radio equipment is listen and analyze, not actually transmit, not actually talk. Um, and so having the ability to do some of this stuff is really interesting. Um, there's a whole bunch of really fascinating transmit programs on here, though. So you could, uh, I'm not recommending this, of course, because it would be wrong. Um, well, it would be illegal. Let's leave it at that. It would be illegal for you to use some of the programs inside of the Havoc firmware. Um, you can jam other people's GPS. You can actually uh, spoof GPS signals and try to fool people's devices into thinking they're in the wrong place. Um, you can transmit your own ADS-B transponder and pretend to be an aircraft uh, using this device. Now, this wouldn't actually be an ideal uh, transponder for an aircraft because the broadcast uh, signal strength would be very low. It's not particularly strong, but you could totally do it. You can send images over slow scan TV. Uh, this is all the stuff that is just built into this hobbyist device right here. Um, you know those little burger pagers? When you go into certain restaurants, they give you a pager to let you know when your table is ready or when your order is ready. Um, there's a program on here for controlling those. So that's pretty cool. There's a whole bunch of different things that are built in here, which I'm probably not going to mess with. I was gonna try to, uh, it doesn't have a speaker or a mic, but if we plug, if we plug in the earbuds here, we should be able to listen to some FM radio. Um, we can listen to wideband or narrowband FM radio really easily. We can listen to all kinds of different stuff. So right now, Let's see, if I hold this up here, Charles, can you hear the signals that we're currently yep. currently receiving? So, it's on, let's see here, let's, we'll start off by going to, we'll start off by going to our local, so this is, uh, this is our local country radio station. Can you hear that, Charles? Yep. 
I doubt that it's clearer for me than it is for you, but this is our local Middle Tennessee Centerville radio station. 96.6 kicks 96. So we're tuned into analog radio when we can hear that. Let's tune into this FRS radio over here and uh, see what frequency we're at. Now, I'm actually kind of cheating because we already did this during Thanksgiving. But um, it's pretty easy for me to tune into specific frequencies. Even if I don't know what they are, I can go back to that waterfall display and I can actually see where on this, um, where on this we're actually listening and I can actually look for the specific spikes. Because it's kind of hard to see this screen, I'm actually going to switch to another mode so that we can see it on the computer here. Let me check questions real quick. Uh, check out web SDR and play with the online version. Yes, before you spend the money on a $30 RTL SDR or uh, this right here, you can go to web SDR and you can log into other people's SDRs or Kiwi SDR, which I'm going to do in just a moment so that we can look at um, some HF frequencies. Now, there are some disadvantages or some downsides or some weaknesses to software-defined radios. And one of them is, even though the radio itself uh, is, is very simple and very small, you can put a very sophisticated, very capable radio on a chip, there are some limitations, physical limitations, that you really can't get around with the antennas. So this antenna right here is tuned for 2.4 gigahertz, and so it's going to work well in that range and it's going to work worse and worse and worse as we go lower. This antenna is much longer so it actually is able to pick up uh, lower frequencies relatively well. And for reception, uh, your antennas don't matter, I don't want to say they don't matter that much, but they matter a lot less than transmitting. So if we wanted to listen to really, really low frequency HF, uh, we could actually just take some alligator clips and clip onto the gutters that we have outside, the big metal gutters that we have outside the building. That would actually improve reception. We could use the roof, the metal roof of this building as an antenna to pick up lower frequency stuff. But transmitting is much harder. We would have to dump thousands of watts into the roof of this building before it would actually transmit RF in a useful way. And even then, we would have to really tune that antenna, which I'm not sure how we would tune an antenna that's made out of the roof of a building. We could make the roof smaller or make the roof larger in order to tune that antenna to the actual frequencies that we're trying to hit. So let's jump over so that you can see a little bit better. Um, one of the things that you can do is you can push this back into USB mode, so I'm connecting it to my computer. And uh, now my computer can see it. Let me open up the SDR. So now we're connected. Now I can actually control the hack RF with my computer with a much more sophisticated uh, application than what's built in here. One of the cool things about the hack RF, when you put it in this pack and you install the right firmware on it, uh, the Havoc firmware. If you don't want a firmware that is quite as good at doing illegal stuff, you should downgrade to the Mayhem firmware. It is, uh, it's, it's way better for um, not doing illegal stuff. It's still called Mayhem though. So once we go into uh, a much more full-featured application, uh, you'll be able to see it a little bit better. So let's see. The problem with the more sophisticated applications is uh, 
when they don't work. But once you have, once you have a file, uh, once you have an application that can actually talk to these, uh, there's a lot more stuff that you can do with them. You have all the tools uh, of the computer at your disposal. If you use uh, Linux, something like New Radio gives you a whole lot of tools. You can not only demodulate analog signals, but you can decode digital signals. You can record stuff and you can use it to figure out how to break uh, even encryption in, uh, in certain applications. So that's something that I think um, is really interesting and it's useful. Now, one of the things that I wanted to demonstrate with this if I can switch over to that mode again and see if it works. One of the things that I think is really useful for this is demonstrating to people how easy it is to see large swaths of the spectrum and what that means for uh, privacy or for uh, using radios uh, quietly. I've had a lot of people on the internet ask questions about um, what radio can they get that actually allows for frequency hopping. And the problem with frequency hopping radios, in the past, they used to be very useful for hiding your signal because they transmit first on one wavelength and then on another, and then hop back and forth in a, a, sig a pattern, a preset pattern that your other radios were pre-programmed to pick up so that they would know first we listen on this frequency and then we follow this pattern. The problem is once you can see a whole swath of radio spectrum, you just see every broadcast. And it's really easy to have a, an application that just takes all those broadcasts and just connects them back together into a stream of digital data that can be decoded or analog data that can be, be listened to. So that is a really easy and, and simple thing to do. Um, the level of capability for watching radio spectrum is really simple and sophisticated at this point. So just be aware of that. As you think about different stuff that you would like to do, uh, on the internet, you should assume that it's really, really easy uh, for people to see what you're doing on the internet. It's also really, really easy for people to see what you're doing inside of the radio waves if they have antennas nearby. If they have antennas nearby, uh, they can see what you're doing relatively easily. All it takes is a $40 SDR, um, potentially a better antenna than this one. And um, actually, let me hook this up to my phone, Charles. Um, this is a pretty, pretty effective demonstration in my opinion. So I'm just going to plug this into, I was going to use my degoogled phone, but I forgot to bring the right cable. So I'm going to use my actual Android phone, which is not secure because Google is watching what we're doing right now. They can see it. And, uh, I guess we're also live streaming this. So, it's not going to be the most secure thing ever. There's also that. So if you can uh, see Charles, let me turn up the brightness here on my phone. So if you can see here, the radio frequencies that we're looking at, we're already tuned to here's the frequencies that I'm listening to. I can't listen to a huge swath uh, of the radio waves. I can only listen to, a few megahertz, but I can real easily scan back and forth between these. And so if I uh, have this radio right here and uh, I transmit, you can see me transmitting. And this poor, this poor radio is getting this huge amount of <laughs> RF. Um, as you can see, these super cheap Chinese radios, 
uh, do not broadcast really cleanly. You can see the main channel right here at 47.5. The biggest spike is right there. But you can also see that there's a whole bunch of other spikes down here. These are harmonics and spurious emissions which uh, I, you really don't want, but it makes it really easy, as you can tell, for people to see somebody's transmitting. Now, if they were further away, like if the distance between these antennas was more than uh, just right, <laughs> right here, it would be a little bit easier. So I'm gonna hand that to Charles. He's gonna be super far away, like 20, 20 feet. So that's a little bit better, Charles. And he's putting it inside of a metal locker, so that's great. Now, I want to try to actually uh, listen to this. So uh, I'm going to, we're tuned in. I'm going to try to, I think it's a narrow band. No, I think it's wide band. These are wide band. So if you would like to transmit, Charles, we'll see if we can hear it. All right, try it one more time. Radio check. Yeah, radio check. Radio check. Okay, so we're, we're definitely picking up Charles. Uh, I think I have my squelch set too low. And I'm not actually sure how we change that. Okay, so Charles, use the little plus and minus buttons on the side of the radio to change your channel. Change to a different channel and I'll see if I can find you. Okay. I wonder if I have accidentally changed something or broken something. But you guys saw it working earlier. It was a very effective, uh, very effective way of picking signals out and then actually decoding them. So I can listen to a whole bunch of different types of analog audio on here. I can listen to AM, narrowband FM, wideband FM, lower sideband, upper sideband, and I can tweak and tune uh, as I go. So the amount that I'm decoding, uh, I can change. And then the, um, the squelch, I can adjust the squelch. Couldn't remember how to do that at the, at the time. So now I'm listening below the noise floor. Now squelch is above the noise floor. So it's very simple and, and intuitive to do with touch interface. And I can record uh, bits of spectrum to uh, load into applications to analyze later. So having this capability is really huge. And the way that I have this set up uh, with a, a USB-C phone is I just throw it into a dock. And that means that since it takes a fair amount of power, battery power, to run all of this, I can just plug a battery pack into here. I can pull a bunch of other stuff out of this dock and then just run uh, this, this one Android phone. Uh, let's see, I probably have, uh, probably have something here. So I just put this on my chest rig, flip my phone down. I have access to all of the radio spectrum and I can look for aircraft and I can listen to weather radio and regular FM radio and I can listen to handhelds and I can see all kinds of transponders and traffic all around me just as I go about my thing. So RF analyzer on Android, SDR touch is another one. There's uh, stuff for iOS as well, but analog, um, analog stuff, really easy to demodulate on a phone, digital trunked radio. Uh, I'm not aware of any uh, mobile apps that are really good at that, but there's a whole bunch of tools on the computer that will let you do that. So uh, the other thing that I didn't talk about but is really cool is HF radio. So HF radio is something that is um, capable of going much further because of the way that the lower uh, frequency your radio waves are, the more uh, stuff they can go through and the different types of stuff they bounce off of. So once they start to bounce off of the actual atmosphere, of the earth and bounce back down, you can now 
balance a radio signal halfway around the world and talk to people on the other side. So once you have an HF radio that you can use for things, then you can talk a really long way and you can listen to stuff a really, really long ways away. And it doesn't take serious uh, specialized equipment to do that. We could do that on this device. We would want a different antenna, but we could listen to um, shortwave radio from Europe right now. We could listen to shortwave radio from Europe on this device. This is not a digital radio. Uh, I'll bet there is a tiny digital radio inside of here, but the tiny digital radio that's inside of this uh, Countycom shortwave radio receiver is not something that we can connect a computer to and control and get extra data and extra features out of. But a lot of the modern stuff that, uh, that you can get nowadays uh, does allow you more capability and more control. This is all that the RTL SDR is. It's a tiny, tiny USB stick with an antenna plug on the back. This one has an aluminum uh, exterior, which is nice because it starts to get a little bit warm after you've received for a while. Um, and I, I really would like this uh, this future SDR-based radio world to come, to come very soon. In some ways it has, because all of the cheap stuff that you can buy on the internet now has a little SDR inside instead of larger, more complicated mechanical coils and crystals. But it's very hard to get to. So even this uh, very modern HF radio here, the Zygu G90, it has an SDR inside and it has a computer inside that's very powerful and capable. You can do a lot of filtering. Um, the waterfall display on here is really nice. All of this stuff is really cool and really nice, but there's no way to connect it to a computer very easily. The plugs on the back are really complex. Uh, if you... <laughs> If you would prefer to just stick in USB, the plugs on the back are very complicated. There's no good way to get data in or out of this radio, even though at its heart is a little computer chip that should theoretically just have a USB plug on the side. Um, so that is something that I would like to see happen sooner. And I think that that is coming. There are more and more um, SDR devices that do allow greater control. But the other thing that I wanted to try to talk about in the time that we have, I feel like the future of radio communications may have been a fairly large topic to cover in, uh, in an hour. But um, as we get more and more of these capabilities and we learn how to use them and we are able to select the products that give us the capabilities that we need, I think that the market will actually slowly start to provide the things that we want. But one of the issues that we have run into is the FCC regulates the transmission of radio waves. So you can listen to absolutely anything. You can listen to anything uh, that you can detect. But when it comes to transmitting, when it comes to communication, there are a lot of restrictions. So ham radio is the easiest way to use a whole bunch of the spectrum. There are ham radio uh, spectrum allocations for just all over the place, all the way down to like 180 meters uh, of HF, which isn't enough to talk to like uh, nuclear submarines underwater on the other side of the world. Uh, but it is enough to talk to the other side of the world really uh, on surprisingly little power. But what I would really love the ham radio community to do is to get away uh, from devices like this, which are great, which are cool and definitely have their place, and, and move over to devices that can be controlled by phones or computers, where the computer that's doing the digital signal processing of the radio waves is actually accessible and exposed to us to tinker with. Um, in the old days, ham radio guys 
did a huge amount of tinkering. A lot of radio technology was invented by amateurs who were experimenting, and the experiments and the tinkering of the day was stuff that you would do with a soldering iron, stuff that you would do with a whole bunch of uh, physical tools as you tinkered with the electronics of your radio. And today, all of that tinkering is really happening inside of computer code. So the more the more of that computer code that every radio has inside it, every radio has the computer inside, the more accessible that code inside the radio is, um, the more we are able to do with it. The more uh, amateurs and experimenters and tinkerers are going to discover and innovate with. So I'm leaning very heavily towards uh, devices and systems that are more open because the ham radio space feels a little bit stagnant. And some of that is the radio manufacturers who are making things in a slightly more old fashioned way. But part of it is also the FCC. So the FCC has a lot of rules on what you can and cannot do inside of these amateur radio wavelengths. So for example, this Hytera radio right here is a DMR radio. And uh, if I were to use my ham radio license to broadcast on ham radio signals, I could not turn the encryption on. But the encryption on this radio is one of its best features. To use encryption, I have to be on uh, a business band uh, and I have to get my itinerant business band license so that I can actually legally do that. Um, so these are the kind of restrictions that amateur radio guys have been dealing with. And it's part of the reason that amateur radio equipment feels less full featured and also feels really out of date. So in some ways, when I talk about the radio of the future, all I'm really talking about is can we please have uh, radios that are up to par with military or commercial radios that are not legal for civilians to use and very difficult for civilians to buy. Um, you know, I haven't been paying very close attention to comments because I've been using my computer for other stuff, but people are pointing out the more you learn about this, the more you realize how secure you are not. Yes, that's very true. And if I knew what I was doing with this device, uh, the amount of havoc I could actually cause is, uh, is quite a bit. Uh, one of the things that I thought about doing on the stream was uh, jamming my own wireless microphone, and I decided not to do that because there's other ways to turn the microphones off that we do occasionally. But the things that you can do with this device are, are really incredible, and this device is 200 bucks on eBay, 220 bucks. And actually, that's kind of an interesting thing in and of itself. The Hack RF is a hobbyist uh, board that was developed by Americans for American hobbyists to experiment with. And it was more expensive than $200, and it was rarely in stock. And this enclosure and the firmware was developed by hobbyists for hobbyists to tinker with. And some factory in China made a knockoff Hack RF and the enclosure and the battery and the screen and the controls and everything that was part of that project on Hackaday or Instructables or wherever it was. And somewhat mass produced this thing so that it's all over eBay for 220 bucks, different versions of it. The one, the two, the version two plus, there's several versions of this that different manufacturers in China are building. They're taking the ideas of open source hobbyists and they're turning them into products, which I have mixed feelings about, but I will say uh, the original hack RF board, not in stock right now, the knockoffs very much in stock. And, um, from what I've read, they actually perform relatively well. So that is kind of an interesting thing that has happened and that has developed. And I also would like to point this out because while this device uh, has a very DIY fit and function and flavor to it, it's incredibly sophisticated. The board was developed by a very small team of people 
The firmware is developed by a very small set of people. And my understanding is this case design, somebody figured out that the board by itself, this doesn't have a Raspberry Pi or an Arduino in here to drive this. There's actually a processor on the radio board just to do signal processing. All of that interface that you saw there, all of that stuff that is happening when it's listening for Bluetooth and listening for aircraft transponders and listening to Wi-Fi and listening to uh, analog FM, that's all being done just by the board itself. So when people talk about how impossible it is to get into consumer electronics because you have to be a Google or you have to be an Apple to actually build a working electronics device that does radio type stuff or does internet type stuff, um, it's not actually the case. Is this more polished? Yes, it is. But this is 200 bucks and it works and it was made by a very small team of people who are technically ripping off an even smaller group of people. Um, so uh, let's, let's look a little bit. When I talk about the future of radio and how I really want it to just be the radio that we can actually get. Charles, if you could throw up on the screen uh, something. Uh, oh, before you do. So this right here, this is what a lot of amateur radio stuff looks like. This is a very sophisticated, excellent, modern HF radio. It uses a whole bunch of different... It, it works across a whole bunch of different frequencies. It has a built-in antenna tuner. It's, uh, it's very full-featured. Um, I can't say enough good things about this radio as a HF radio that you control like a traditional HF radio. However, this isn't the radio that I want. Charles, if you would uh, go to the screen, you will see the radio that I want. This right here is the radio that I want, the QRP Labs HF radio. All it is is a box. It's very small. And on the back, it has connectors for an antenna, power, and USB. And then you plug it into a computer. That's exactly what I want for most of my radio stuff because I can run applications on a phone or on a Raspberry Pi or on a laptop that will let me do digital modes of communication that are far more effective than the basic analog stuff that is built into here. And yes, I can connect this thing, but I have to use a whole bunch of different adapters basically to do it. So um, when I want to connect that to the radio, I have a whole bunch of different cables that I can use to do it. Um, that's a very important part of this. And then DigiRig makes a very cool thing that actually will start to convert it into a USB plug. But before I do that, I've got to tie a bunch of stuff together into uh, an additional control board adapter right here, an expansion card, which is still just, uh, you know, sitting in its sort of raw printed circuit board state. So once I connect all of this stuff that I have here to this radio um, that I power off of a lot of extra electricity that goes into running the radio uh, in addition to transmitting, I end up with a big, complicated, very much non-rugged, very much non-waterproof thing when I could just have this, I could just have a box with a USB plug that goes straight into a Raspberry Pi that sits on top of it. And that is a much smaller package that does all of the sophisticated digital modes. And because uh, people can write new code for it, then I actually am able to upgrade this thing over time. So if someone invents a really cool new digital text mode or a way to do mesh networking over HF, like JS8 Call has a very cool uh, message forwarding capability. Whenever people invent new stuff, I don't have to wait for the developer of the radio to come out with new firmware, I just download that file and install it on my computer. The computer talks straight to the radio. I end up with a much more full-featured 
experience, and I end up with much more control over my product and how um, that I own and how I want to use it. So that is how I want my HF radio to work. I want it to be a little tiny box. This is five watts, but with a good digital mode, five watts goes an awful long ways. It would be text, it wouldn't be voice, but it would go a really long ways. And then for my handheld radio, <laughs> what I would really like is uh, the Persistent Systems MPU-5. So I'm sure that you have seen this radio uh, before. You see it in pictures of uh, Special Forces guys. You see it in pictures um, uh, on Instagram. You've seen it in movies. It is, generally speaking, when you see the radio in people's kit that has the three antennas, the three different antennas poking up, this is the radio that they're using. And this radio um, is pretty much exactly what I want in the future of radio development. It is a computer that has a little radio on the outside and the computer controls exactly what the radio is doing in the same way that we can kind of do with this, but in a much more sophisticated way. So the computer is already running Android. It's already running ATAC. It's already capable of a whole bunch of different stuff. And when you actually uh, start using the radio, you have connection points that work with your regular stuff. All you have to do is connect it to the things that you want to use and data goes through there. And then it has another trick up its sleeve, which is mesh networking. That's the next thing that I think we really need to be thinking about for our digital radio networking stuff. Um, fortunately, mesh networking is something that is also coming, uh, becoming more available and a little bit easier to do over time. There are some consumer products that allow you to do mesh networking right now. This is the Gotenna. Uh, this is something that you can buy online for, I forget exactly how much this costs. I think they're roughly $100 each. And these radios, once you turn them on, connect to one another and build a mesh network to where different devices are connecting to each other. So instead of a repeater, a single repeater that all the radios have to talk to, one message will hop from mesh node to node to node. So you can be far away from a person that's on the other side of the hill. But if there's people up the hill and on top of the hill and down the hill, that message will hop from radio to radio until it gets there. And the way that this works is uh, you use Bluetooth to connect it to your phone. You type in text message on your phone. This radio sends them over 900 megahertz uh, at a pretty low power rate at an internal antenna. And it goes a surprisingly long way because digital uh, signals tend to do better than analog for certain things. And really, um, really low power is something that digital beats analog at most of the time. But also when you're sending text messages that are compressed, you're able to send those using a much shorter amount of time. And uh, it's much easier for these little tiny devices to forward stuff like that. So what I have right here is the next kind of iteration of that or rather the more open version of that, which is Mesh-tastic. So inside of this 3D printed case is a little control board and inside of this, uh, inside of the control board um, is something called a low-raw radio, which stands for long range. And this actually is able to transmit text data over a very long range, considering the incredibly low amount of power that it uses. And so once you have a couple of these things in an area, you get not just the range between the two devices, but if you have multiple devices, you can actually have all of them being used as 
a mesh network. I think I'll try to draw it, Charles, because that's probably the easiest way to do this. Um, so one of the complicated things about radio communication is when you want two devices to talk to each other. These are two handheld walkie-talkies, because I'm an excellent artist. Each of these is tuned to 150 megahertz. And so they're broadcasting on 150, and they're listening on 150. So when you press the push to talk button on this one, this one hears it. And when you press the push to talk to button on this one, the push to talk button, this one over here hears it. So that's called simplex transmission. It's really simple. That's why it's called simplex. But let's say you have a hill in the way between these two radios and they can't see each other anymore. So you build a tower and you put a repeater on here. But the way that the repeater works is very uh, complicated by comparison because what the repeater is going to do is it's going to transmit um, on 151 megahertz and it's going to listen on 100 and <laughs> I can't talk and draw at the same time. It's going to listen on 152 megahertz. So it's transmitting and, and it's receiving over here. So in order for this to work, now this radio has to transmit and receive on the exact opposite frequency. So it transmits on 152 and 151, and then same thing over here, 152 and 151, transmitting and receiving. So now when you press the push to talk button, you send a 152 megahertz signal up to this thing, and it broadcasts it on 151 down here to 151, where this one is listening. So. See how much more complicated that is than simplex? And then there's another issue, which is if there's a hole down here and there's a guy at the bottom of this hole and he can't see the repeater, he also cannot see this radio because he's broadcasting on 152 and this radio isn't listening on 152. It's only listening on 151. So it's impossible for these two radios to talk to each other if this radio cannot see the tower up here. But if you were to have a mesh radio network, all of them would be on the same frequency. This radio could talk to this radio, this radio could talk to this radio, and this radio could talk to this radio. So now this radio in the hole, even though he can only see one radio, is able to talk to everybody on the network. So that's part of the reason that there is a significant advantage from mesh radio networking. And it's part of the reason that the military is going in that direction. The other reason is the military is often moving rapidly across terrain, so they don't have time to set up towers and repeaters and things. They will often just want to have mesh radio nodes on drones or on helicopters or on aircraft so that they can build a mesh network. And the other cool thing about a mesh network is if you have multiple nodes, you have the ability for radio traffic to travel in multiple directions. So if one node gets taken out by an enemy or it gets jammed by an enemy, the traffic can route around that area through other nodes and still get to the place that it needs to go. It's not necessarily uh, an easy problem to solve from a networking perspective, but uh, it's a much better solution in some ways than using a whole bunch of analog radios that are set up to listen to a whole bunch of different repeaters, but they can't actually listen to each other at the same time. Um, so hopefully that, uh, that was helpful. Let's check the questions, Charles. 
Um, there's a bunch of people who are working with Meshtastic right now. Meshtastic has a couple of downsides. One downside is the bandwidth between these devices is incredibly low. The way that it goes, um, the way that it goes so far using so little power is by transmitting the data very slowly. So this does not stream video. It currently does not even stream voice, even though that's technically possible. It's not something that Meshtastic does right now. But what it does do very well is build an automatic network of nodes so that when a radio receives a signal, it is able to transmit that signal and keep track of a lot of different stuff. So one of the things that's, that's cool about mesh radio networking, one of them is that it builds a very, uh, it builds a self-healing network so that if part of the network is destroyed or part of the network is jammed or part of the network is inaccessible, uh, the, the information can still flow through the rest of the mesh. The other thing that is very helpful uh, with a mesh network is if your devices are, um, if you have a lot of devices, it's actually very difficult to pinpoint a very specific one because you have devices all over the place. If you have an enemy who is trying to triangulate all of the radios that you are using, it's very difficult to actually track those things down. Now, when it comes to simplex radios or, or static repeaters, it's actually very easy for somebody to come in with direction finding equipment, which is relatively simple and easy to come by and triangulate specific places that are transmitting figure out exactly where they are on the map and then launch artillery or drone strikes or something or, you know, whatever else it is that they feel like doing once they have those things. Uh, tracking and jamming is harder than you think. It is harder than you think, but it is getting easier. In fact, um, if we go over Charles to the computer, I want to bring up the, uh, this is a, if you want to learn more information about SDRs, you should go to rtlsdr.com. It's a very useful website for all kinds of things that people are doing with different SDRs. And it's fascinating the stuff that happens. A lot of it isn't even anything to do with communication. Sometimes um, it's just studying other equipment and electronics or studying traffic or trying to use existing television broadcasts as radar to count cars going across a bridge. The stuff that you can do once you are analyzing radio at this level is pretty fascinating. But this is a device that they are making. This board has five of these little RTL SDRs built into it, all running off of the same clock. So if you connect those to five antennas that you space out, now it's really easy for you to figure out where a signal is coming from. So that level of tracking is getting easier and easier. And then the software does all of the heavy lifting to actually build out a map of where signal strength is. One of the things that's very cool to do with direction finding is um, you take a DF uh, array like this, four or five antennas, and you put that on the bottom of a drone and you fly that up and then you can see really clearly past obstructions and get a much better picture of where uh, where certain signals are. So that's a very interesting application. I forget how much uh, how much this is. It's it's uh, very very hard to come by some of this equipment. They raised almost $500,000. It is $300 to get it with the case. So yes. Yes, yeah, very hard to come by some of this equipment. Very very expensive for for nation states. Uh, very very hard. It's such a cool project. Now there's a bunch of cool projects happening in the radio space. The SDR related projects, the, the mesh related projects, especially Meshtastic, uh, a lot of the Internet of Things radios are, are readily available on the internet and that's why there's so much development here. But I feel like there's a lot more work that we have to do. If you want to switch back to the 
the main camera, Charles. Yeah. I want to bring up my notes because I can't actually remember how I wanted to phrase this. Um, one of the things that, that is fascinating is as the hobbyists are tinkering with this technology, there's a bunch of new possibilities that open up. Uh, like the project that I mentioned before, which is just using receiving capability, no transmitting whatsoever, just looking at the radio spectrum that is out there. Um, I was watching a, a, a talk by a guy who was using television transmitters on one side uh, of the a body of water, and he was sitting at his house and watching the signals bounce off of cars on the bridge. So he was using radar to see cars crossing the bridge, but he wasn't transmitting anything, just receiving. Just by looking at the information that it was out there and the way that it was interacting with the environment and the terrain, he was able to count cars and trucks separately as they crossed the bridge just using a couple of devices like this. So as people are tinkering and experimenting, all sorts of new possibilities open up. Now, uh, when, you, when you talk about personally using this in the field, I am not a radio guru. So having something like this and a decent antenna to attach it to and a way to connect it to my phone, right off the bat, I have a whole lot of capabilities. I can figure out if there are people, uh, if there's increased radio traffic in my area. I can find out if there's aircraft flying overhead. I can just look for a whole bunch of different stuff. Now, in my current day-to-day -day life, that's not super useful or interesting. Uh, we are next to an airport, so watching... Um, seeing aircraft coming in and out and wondering what they are and wanting to be able to look up their transponders is kind of cool. But um, there are other places where this is a fascinating uh, and also very useful and practical thing for people to figure out. So uh, in the Ukraine right now, there's all sorts of various military activity and the potential for more activity in the future. And having the ability to look at the different uh, Russian electronic warfare systems that are around is very useful per, for people who want to figure out whether they want to be in certain areas or not. So that is the sort of thing that um, just in, in certain situations, you really want to be able to figure that out. And there's also times and places where uh, maybe there's an avalanche in Middle Tennessee, which seems unlikely given the amount of snow that we have and our complete lack of mountains. But if there were an avalanche and I didn't have the ability to receive the 417 megahertz um, signal that I get that uh, the the personal locators of skiers have, I don't have any way to receive that because we don't really have avalanches here. But if for some reason I wanted to look for one of those devices, I could actually very quickly and immediately do so. And I would use a different antenna. I would use the small antenna and I would direction find not by having an array of a whole bunch of things, but using my body to attenuate the signal so that I turn around and see if it's in front of me. Um, you can do a lot of super basic direction finding with stuff like that. So right off of the bat, I can think of a few different ways that I would use this. And if you think uh, to yourself about ways that you might use this, uh, it could be really handy. And the Mesh-tastic thing I think is going to get useful pretty soon. Right now, uh, it's, it's a little bit, little bit hard to get into. You're buying stuff off of Alibaba at this point and putting it in 3D printed enclosures and flashing the firmware onto it yourself. It's not quite as easy as uh, I <laughs> thought it was going to be when I got started. And there's a barrier to entry there, but this is the best way to use ATAC in my opinion. It is so much easier to connect my phone to this device and use the ATAC plugin to see the locations of everybody else that has one of these devices 
with all of the headache and hassle, it's still the best way to use ATAC for that purpose, in my opinion. It has limitations, but it works more seamlessly than stuff that I can normally get out and buy. And pretty soon there's gonna be devices that are a little more turnkey, a little bit easier to use. Not this one, this one is the worst. This one is so terrible, I can't even begin to tell you how bad it is. And yet, this little device is very encouraging because look at how tiny, look at how tiny this thing is. The only thing that we need to look at here is uh, this, this little board. There's a whole bunch of extra stuff inside of this case that we technically don't even need. Um, there's a whole development board down here. But this little board right here, this is all that it takes um, to connect to a battery and to connect to an antenna. And then this thing is capable of sending text signals for a couple of miles. And there's a little Bluetooth antenna here and it has enough processing power we can really easily connect to it. We can run different firmwares on the, the CPU that's down here on the bottom. And uh, just this little radio right here by itself is capable of an incredible amount of stuff. As far as radio goes, this thing outperforms a ton of different things that people were using back in Vietnam. DARPA would have loved to get their hands on stuff this simple and this complicated. It has a screen, has a couple of buttons, has a whole bunch of pins that we could use for extra stuff if we wanted to. Uh, this one doesn't have GPS capability, but if we connect it with Bluetooth to our phones, we use the phone GPS. The phone tells this device where it is. That message goes out to other people. Their geo coordinates come back in here. We see them on ATAC. It's really simple. It's really straightforward. Uh, it's just got a little bit of barrier to entry when you actually are tinkering with this stuff. But um, I am really encouraged by the way that it's going. Now, one of the things that uh, I do uh, want you guys to do is do a little bit of reading on this and do a little bit of tinkering with SDRs. You don't have to buy anything. Look up Kiwi SDR or Web SDR and you'll find people that have SDRs uh, sometimes mounted on masts and, and connected to really nice antennas and they're just sharing uh, their radio resources with you so that you can log in and you can listen to stuff. You can experiment rec with receiving different types of signals. There are uh, weather satellites that are constantly broadcasting images that you can experiment with and tinker and download and learn how to gather digital data and interpret it. Tons of things that are very, very useful and interesting. Uh, and if you want to purchase your own RTL SDR devices, uh, I recommend that you go to Terminal Armament, look up Terminal Armament. They sell this device, they sell antennas that go with it, and I'm not sure if it's in stock right now, but they also have a mount and chest rig type setup so that you can really easily use this with the rest of your kit. It's really handy to just be able to flip your phone down, see what's going on in the RF space as you're uh, wandering around. Uh, someone says sound like an operator. Yes, I don't sound like an operator, but now I do. Now I do sound like an operator. It's that simple. One of the things that, um, that I also am really excited about is just this tinkering mentality. Now, part of the problem that, uh, that we have is people are, are tinkering and experimenting with stuff, which is very cool, but there needs to be a lot more organization and a lot more uh, teamwork. Part of the reason that um, a lot of the off-the-shelf radios that you can get right now are kind of limited is because small ham radio companies have kind of stagnated inside of the rules that exist. 
part of the reason that big telecommunication companies and people that make military radios is because they build stuff outside of the rules because they're making it for the government. Or if you're the telecommunications company, you have the lobbyists to just change the rules. And meanwhile, out there on the internet are thousands of people who are tinkering, people who are building hardware like this, people who are writing software like Meshtastic, people who are making incredible stuff possible, but they're not really organized enough to build super useful things. And I think that just with a little bit of organization, that would be possible. And it would be possible for a whole bunch of us to get together and actually do some lobbying so that we get some of that uh, FCC radio spectrum back so that we're able to build uh, radios for disaster management, radios for emergency and last mile internet stuff, um, remove some of the restrictions so it's easier for us to use it. So it's easier to develop hardware and software that can be used legally. Um, I say legally, not correctly or morally correctly, because legally is the big hurdle with a lot of these different technologies. So that is something that I would like to see us uh, do a little bit better at. The, the, Second Amendment community and the First Amendment community and the hacker, tinkerer, DIY community have an awful lot in common and they could benefit from uh, doing a little bit more together. So I've been really encouraged at how many of the guys uh, in the T-Rex community and the Second Amendment community are doing really advanced uh, radio stuff and learning some of these things. And I think that that is a very, um, I think that it is a very useful thing uh, to know because there are a lot of times and places where you are your own communications network and you can't really uh, rely on others. Um, Charles, do you remember when we had uh, that one bomber who, uh, who blew up part of the AT&T building last Christmas? Oh, yeah. He got an RV. Yeah, he had an RV and uh, there was a bomb and then there was no internet service for several days inside of Nashville. And that was last Christmas, which means that was almost a year ago. And... Um, I'm sure that with an entire year of investigation, we found out all the details about who he was and what his motivations were. Right, Charles? They had a, they had a whole year to figure that out, right? Yeah, almost like 11 and a half months, 11 months. So yeah, I'm sure they sure they cracked the case. Sure they uh, sure they told us all about it. But stuff like that does happen regardless of how it happens. And so having the ability to, in an emergency like a flood or an emergency like a communications <laughs> switching station being destroyed somehow, you end up with a, a, a need to do your own communication. When there were riots in Cuba not that long ago, uh, there was a huge amount of jamming of the 40 meter band, just really powerful radio noise being broadcast on the 40 meter band and so it was uh, impossible to hear any of the amateurs or any of the shortwave radio stations pirate radio stations down there that were using that band so there's a lot of people that understand the value of uh, being able to communicate across long distances without any infrastructure some of this radio stuff i know it sounds complicated i know that it's uh, not fun to research a lot of it it's definitely not fun to try to solder your own boards together that's the real reason that this radio is the worst um, i tried to fix it and it, it didn't make it better it actually made it worse but um, having some guys on your team who are capable of doing that is a really helpful and useful thing so these are skills that we need to be developing these are the sort of things that we need to figure out um, that we need to figure out here um, you know, anytime now. After all, the future of radio communications is tomorrow. Just a real quick closer, uh, go and check out Web SDR and Kiwi SDR to do some experimentations. 
uh, terminal armaments to order RTL SDRs and then RTL-SDR.com uh, for a lot of interesting news on that particular front. And um, yeah, we'll be talking about some other stuff probably next week, gear related stuff. But before we go, I do want to thank you guys for the tremendous support that we had uh, from you guys during the Black Friday sale. Not just uh, was it a very successful sale in the sense that we sold a bunch of stuff and now we have to make a bunch of stuff and ship a bunch of stuff, but it was an incredibly successful sale in that we saw a bunch of customers talking about T-Rex arms uh, with other customers. With We saw people on forums talking about T-Rex arms. There was a high degree of loyalty from you guys that we appreciate. There was a really significant response from the email newsletter uh, and we really appreciate that because at any moment uh, we could be taken off of YouTube or canceled in some other way. And so what, we, what we're really excited about is how many of you guys have joined the newsletter, how many of you are downloading the podcast, because those are some decentralized communication capabilities that we're, uh, we're able to use without significant internet infrastructure. Obviously, the internet has to work, but uh, Google doesn't have to give us permission to send out emails at this point. Um, and, uh, over time, hopefully we'll build up slightly more sophisticated and even more decentralized and deregulated communication networks. So in the meantime, download the podcast, subscribe to the newsletter. The links are in the video down below. I suppose you could like this video. Uh, you can't dislike it or you can't see how many people disliked it for some reasons that are completely unrelated to the current political administration, I'm sure, or the recent Ghostbusters movie or anything. Just a... Just a weird YouTube quirk that we will never fully understand. Have a great week, you guys, and um, we'll talk to you next week.